0: morning. I'll be reading from Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 7 this morning from the ESV. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius, the governor of Syria, and all went to be registered, each to his own town, And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was from the house and the lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, and wrapped him in swaddling clothes, and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the end. This is the glory of God's word. You may be seated.
1: No room in the inn. We've heard that, right? Familiar with that? wonderful little detail from Luke's narrative of our King's first advent. And it's not only familiar, it's significant because it foreshadows the way that Jesus would be received by his own people throughout his earthly ministry. We recited earlier from, from John's gospel those who were his own did not receive him. Their hearts had no room for him. All throughout the earthly ministry of Jesus, it became more and more apparent uh, through his preaching, he preached as if he had written the Bible himself, uh, through, his, through his miracles, through his kindness toward the worst of sinners, it became more and more apparent that this Jesus was and is yet today Israel's long-awaited Messiah and Savior. And yet, there remained an astonishing complacency among the Jewish people. And there still remains today an astonishing complacency toward Jesus among people who are privileged to know the most about him. Think of all the hustle and bustle around us this time of year. Um, The beautiful lights and and the trees uh, and the packages. um, And it's wonderful, isn't it? It's absolutely wonderful. Everybody, it seems, is excited uh, to, to commemorate and to celebrate Christ's birth, and yet we live in a culture where comparatively few celebrants today are moved toward dependence upon Christ as Savior, are are moved toward allegiance to Christ as King. There often remains among those who know the most about Jesus. Do you know a lot about Jesus? there often remains among those who know the most about Jesus an abiding complacency when it comes to his actual reign in their heart, in their lives. Well, none of that surprises you. Uh, What what might surprise you this morning as we turn to our primary text in Matthew's gospel, we're in Matthew chapter 11, surprise. um, What might surprise you is the degree to which God's judgment will be meted out upon those who remain complacent toward Christ, though they know much about Christ. Theirs is, says Jesus, a a culpable complacency. And I don't want you to take my word for it. Look at verse 20 of Matthew 11. Matthew says, Then Jesus began to denounce the cities in which most of his miracles were done, because they did not repent. Note that. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the miracles had occurred in Tyre and Sidon, which occurred in you, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. Nevertheless, I say to you, it will be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon in the day of judgment than for you. And Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? You will descend to Hades. For if the miracles had occurred in Sodom, which occurred in you, it would have remained to this day. Nevertheless, I say to you that it will be more tolerable for the land of Sodom in the day of judgment than for you. My goodness, what what is this about? Jesus had preached and worked miracles in Galilee, the people he's addressing this to, so frequently that its small towns and villages uh, received the greatest privileges, arguably, of any people on planet Earth at the time this was happening. And yet, incredibly, it is to these very privileged people that Jesus pronounces this chilling judgment. These are decent people. Uh, th- these are um, religious people. Of all the words a person could hear Jesus speak to them, I'm just spitballing here, um, woe to you is probably among the, the last things you would want to hear from Jesus. And yet, this is exactly what Jesus says. With great spiritual privilege comes great responsibility. And Matthew has told us all the way back in chapter 4 that the arrival of Jesus in Galilee fulfilled uh, Isaiah's prophecy of, of great bright light coming into a land that had been steeped in spiritual darkness. Jesus came and lived in Capernaum, says Matthew uh, chapter 4, the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people who were sitting in darkness saw a great light. And those who were sitting in the land and shadow of death, upon them a light dawned. Think about what happens when when light breaks into darkness. Clarity and safety displace confusion and fear. Striving is, is overwhelmed by peace. And with this light of truth... And its clarity came opportunity, didn't it? An invitation from the king, an invitation from Jesus. Uh, Matthew says, from that time, Jesus began to preach and say, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The king has come. Heaven's king is now reigning among his people. And this happened, says Matthew, when Jesus heard of John the Baptist being arrested by, by Herod. Uh, Jesus moved from, from Nazareth to Galilee, the scripture says, northern Israel, the land of Zebulun and Naphtali. So just you, there's, there's no hope of you seeing that at all. I realize that now. Um, it looks really great on my computer. Uh, but, but if you just follow the squiggly line to what looks like a body of water on the, on the right-hand side, you get the idea. These little towns on the northern shore of the Sea of Galilee became the um, headquarters of sorts for Jesus' earthly ministry in Galilee. The people living there in those towns saw this great light that is Jesus. The word become flesh. They beheld In many ways, his glory, the glory of of the only begotten of the Father, the scripture says, full of grace and truth. These were the cities in which most of his miracles were done. Again, just, just imagine the privilege of hearing and seeing the works of God clothed in humanity among people. How startling it is then to read in Matthew 11 uh, that Jesus says to these very same, very privileged people that they are in danger of judgment. Look at verse 20. Then Jesus began to denounce the cities in which most of his miracles were done because they did not repent. Let me just remind you that the the, the king's reign uh, advances by the king's means, repentance. The gateway into the kingdom, the gateway into right relationship with God, salvation, eternal life, is narrow. We read that somewhere, didn't we? As narrow as repentance from your sin and allegiance to Christ as king. Faith in Christ. And so a question before you this morning, seated here or seated in your homes, is not so much, do I know about Jesus? Let's assume you do know all about Jesus. But what have I done with what I know? Have you repented of your sins against God and and received his only gracious remedy, his Christ, this this Jesus, and you say, "Well, I I don't know, I don't know if I'm ready to do that. I don't, I don't know if I could really get my act together, clean myself up enough to actually do that." Let me let me encourage you this morning. Um, the gospel is better news than you think it is. To repent is to turn from any hope of cleaning yourself up. You've no hope in doing that, not but not by God's measure. And acknowledge to him that you cannot. And on your worst days in the quiet of your own hearts, you're stubborn and you say to yourself, I will not. But that's changing, perhaps. Because the spirit of God has brought life to your heart so that you want to be right with him. And so you turn to Christ. You turn from your sin and you turn from your self-help, your self-improvement. And you turn to Jesus, run to the only refuge from God's wrath that there is. And what, what a rescue he is. He'll not only receive you, he'll, he'll clean you up. He's better at it. He'll forgive you on the basis of his shedding his blood for you on that cross that you know all about. And he'll live in you by his spirit so that you desire to walk in his ways. And more and more you will do so as you you follow him. Well, we'll come back to that. That's important. But please do not think that sitting here, week after week, um, taking in information about Jesus somehow conveys his salvation to you. The kingdom is entered by your repentance, but by your faith in Christ. And so Jesus says those who have been exposed to the light of God's grace in Jesus and yet remain unmoved, complacent in that sense, face a stricter judgment. Stricter than what? Well, stricter than the judgment that will be received by all of the people you and I tend to think of as horrible. Woe to you, Chorazin, verse 21. Woe to you, Bethsaida, For if the miracles had occurred in Tyre and Sidon, which occurred in you, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. Tyre and Sidon were were ancient Phoenician cities north of Galilee on the Mediterranean coast, modern-day Lebanon. They were at that time, or excuse me, they were in uh, we read in the Old testament of of them being idol worshipping cities pagan in in every sense um, and from a from a Jewish understanding, these towns really uh, symbolize the arrogance and moral depravity of the pagan world. Uh, the, the Jews looked down on um, those who, you know, hearkened from the regions of Tyre and Sidon and and felt good doing so, felt justified doing so. Tyre was the birthplace of Jezebel. Remember reading about her? 1 Kings, what is it, 19? Um, Jezebel enticed one of Israel's kings, Ahab, uh, to lead the nation into idolatry, uh, and they had this sort of marriage of political convenience that, Brought Baal worship and, and and the worship of Ashtoreth uh, to Israel, um, Tyre and Sidon were were very wealthy seaports and and like a lot of very wealthy seaports uh, still today full of the basest pleasures, you know from a human standpoint, and they were known for their cruelty. In other words, when you heard of Tyre and Sidon, and you were a Jewish person in Jesus day your skin crawled and you and you shook your head in disgust and you thought what could possibly be worse and Jesus says hey let me tell you what's worse it's you sitting in church week after week and sucking in more and more information about Jesus and yet remaining unmoved uncommitted this is not my material Listen to the prophet Ezekiel. The oracle concerning Tyre. Wail, O ships of Tarshish, for Tyre is destroyed without house or harbor. Excuse me, Isaiah. Be ashamed, O Sidon. Incredibly, the arrogance of the king of Tyre uh, was such that he is conflated in Scripture with Satan himself. Listen to Ezekiel now, Ezekiel 28. All who know you among the peoples are appalled by you. You will cease to be forever. The point is that these these proud, arrogant, self-sufficient, God-rejecting people of Tyre and Sidon were judged by God's wrath, as will all proud, self-sufficient people be judged. Tyre was destroyed by the Babylonians and then later the Persians. It ceased to exist in that sense and yet that earthly destruction was simply a foreshadowing of the eternal judgment that awaits its people. And and you're horrified by that until you realize Jesus is saying, but, but, a worse judgment awaits those in Galilee who looked devout on the outside and yet within themselves continued to be indifferent toward Christ, complacent toward Christ. Woe to you, Chorazin, woe to you, Bethsaida, for if the miracles had occurred in Tyre and Sidon which occurred in you, they would have repented long ago. Nevertheless, I say to you, it will be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon in the day of judgment than for you. Because the thing of it is, friends, is that the wickedness of Tyre and Sidon, um, horrific as it was, uh, was a wickedness grounded in their relative ignorance of the things of God. If these dark cities, says Jesus, had been exposed to the spiritual light that the towns in Galilee had been exposed to in Jesus' day. They would have mourned their sin and repented and turned to God. And this isn't hypo- hypothetical. Remember um, Jonah, the, the reluctant prophet. Well, you heard that word Tarshish earlier. And you said, wait, where have I heard that before? Well, instead of going to Nineveh, Jonah ran uh, to Tarshish initially, didn't he? And, and, and why was Jonah reluctant? It's just us here, so you can go ahead and answer. He knew that God would show mercy. He knew that God would withhold judgment if the people of Nineveh repented. And so, you know, they, they had to have a heart-to-heart there in the guts of a fish. And Jonah's heart changed, not just his mind, uh, and off he went to Nineveh. And, And sure enough, the people of Nineveh did repent. All they heard was the call to repentance from a prophet who didn't even want to be there. And they repented and found shelter in God's grace. And yet the people of Galilee saw and heard the most incredible things that any people ever living on this earth saw and heard. And they actually flocked to Jesus. Don't miss that part. They they wanted to see the show. Like some churchgoers in our culture, they want to see the show. That the people of Galilee wanted to hear the truth. Like some churchgoers in our culture. Was interesting little detail about um, Herod who imprisoned John. The scripture says Herod loved to hear John's teaching, he just wasn't about to repent. And Jesus says to them, Your judgment will be worse. Look at verse 23 and Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? Capernaum, what, what an amazing place! Um, town of Nahum is what it, the name means, and, and as we've learned, th- this was Jesus' home base. You could say his hometown uh, for his Galilean ministry, um, and to this day, the town of Capernaum is proud to be known as the town of Jesus. They, they, there's even a sign there, for, primarily for the purposes of, of tourism, said the, said the pastor looking for excuses to show pictures. I mean, and it's in a beautiful place, right? In Jesus' day, it was a bustling fishing village. The fishermen turned apostles. Peter and Andrew had a house there, though they were from Bethsaida. And Jesus preached in Capernaum Synagogue. You can still see the, um, the, the foundation stones of that synagogue in Capernaum. Peter's mother in law was healed. In Capernaum. Uh, Matthew, the tax collector, was called to Christ in Capernaum. Uh, this is where Jesus healed uh, Jairus' daughter uh, and the paralytic. All sorts of stuff was happening in Capernaum. It was Jesus' central during his earthly ministry. And Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? No, you will descend to Hades. For if the miracles had occurred in Sodom, which occurred in you, it would have remained to this day. Nevertheless, I say to you that it will be more tolerable for the land of Sodom in the day of judgment than for you. Wow. Don't miss what is meant by this descent into Hades. Hades in Scripture is another word for hell. Those who hear God's truth and ignore it will be judged eternally in proportion to the truth that they've heard, to the truth that they've received, yet rejected. This is why Jesus often spoke in parables and riddles like the one we looked at, last week, concealing truth from those whose hearts had hardened to the truth of God. It's actually a mercy from God. And how shocking this must have been to the people of Capernaum, because they went to all the Jesus festivals. They went to first service after the first snowstorm, make no mistake. They were enthused. The list of Capernaum's privileges is as incredible as the list of Sodom's deficits. Think about this. Um, There are so many places in America. Let's, Let's talk about our privilege for a moment. There are so many place names in America that come from the Bible. There's Rome, Georgia. Uh, that Philadelphia, Bethlehem, Pennsylvania, uh, it doesn't take all that long uh, to get to Ephrata or Tico, Washington from here. Um, someone with way too much time on his hands figured out not too long ago that there were 61,000 place names in America that come from the Bible. Now pay attention because we're going in a direction. Not one of them is named Sodom. No settlers ever slowed down and started building stuff and said, you know, we really should call this place Sodom. I think think that would be great. Why? Well, the the reason is obvious. The name Sodom, even today, is synonymous with deviancy, with, with, with immorality. With rebellion against all that is decent. And yet, incredibly, Jesus says to the people of Galilee Look, do you know, you want to know who gets a, a more harsh judgment than the people of Sodom? You. You who have been exposed to all of these privileges and remain unmoved, remain complacent. Those privileged to hear God's truth are culpable for not receiving that truth. You still listening? I wonder are there any among us today to whom Jesus will one day pronounce a great judgment because of all the kindnesses and truth you've received from him. You've you've still not repented. Yet you've still not come to him. You've still not surrendered to him as your gracious king. And don't be deceived, friend. If you're thinking that the sin of your delay, month after month, and year after year, is inconsequential, and you say, well, surely that's not as bad as the, 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 the guy across town who's making meth. I mean, sure, surely that's not as bad as, as, as the prostitute or how about the, the person who sees that prostitute or how about the dictator over there and whoever knows where who, who, who is so anti-God and, and, and Jesus says, you know, you're sadly mistaken. Your judgment will be worse. When you and I think of the kind of people who deserve to be condemned, who do you think of? Radical Muslims, radical Hindus, drug dealers and and human traffickers. And uh, Jesus says, you know, the people of Sodom are less shamefully guilty before God than these privileged people of Capernaum, or the church people of America today, many of whom know so much of Christ and yet continue in their complacency. Here's the reason. If you're thinking to yourself, listen, I'm not that bad. I'm not like those people. Jesus comes to you today and he says, you know, even though you've never done anything like the people of Sodom, what you didn't do is worse than the evil they did. Sins of omission. Though even to those of us who are Christians, don't seem nearly as bad as overt, obvious sins. Do you see what you see what I'm saying? We judge far more harshly those whose outward sin is obvious because no one can see, usually, what we know to do and do not do. No one sees your unrepentant heart. No one sees your failure to cherish Christ. No one sees your unkind thoughts or even your angry, murderous thoughts. No one sees your failure to nurture your love for your spouse. No no one sees the countless times you were prompted, I was prompted toward generosity and perhaps failed. So it doesn't seem that bad, not by our measure, not compared to those people, those obviously openly immoral people. People, And yet what has Jesus already said in Matthew's gospel? There is nothing concealed that will not be revealed and hidden that will not be known. All I'm saying, and I hope you're still paying attention, is that there's a bit of Capernaum in all of us. Doing wrong things, saying wrong things, thinking wrong things seems so much worse to us than simply failing to do right things. I will not forgive him. I will not forgive her. Failing to say right things. I'm not going to tell that coworker about Christ, that guy. Serious? And yet the scripture says what? Here's an important verse to remember, James four seventeen. Therefore, to one who knows to do the right thing and does not do it, to him it is sin. Do you guys care if this is practical for a minute? I wonder how many marriages are hurting right now, not because hun- husband and wife are doing horrible things, but-, but they're simply failing to do the right things that they know to do. I, I, how many children are, are being led astray by parents who are good church-attending people, um, sing of Christ on Sundays, uh, and yet those kids never see a father seeking Christ at home? That those kids never see a mother treasuring Christ in her heart as we, as we warm to think of Mary doing this time of year. And we're perplexed sometimes by those kids abandoning the church in their adult years. We, we, we took them to church. <laughs> Dad taught Sunday school. We, we put them in a private school, a Jesus school. We didn't do any of the stuff the bad parents do. Listen, it's often not what we're doing wrong that destroys. It's what we're failing to do right. There's a bit of Capernaum in all of us. Jesus says, a complacent heart in response to tremendous spiritual privilege is worse than the gross sin's of those who've never had such privilege, to whom whom much truth is given, much is required. This is what John MacArthur says in his commentary. He, He puts it this way. It is far better to have heard nothing of Christ than to hear the truth about him and yet reject him. What a surprise. You still with me? What a surprise these words would have been to the people of Capernaum. They may well have had a sign up already by the time Jesus spoke these words. What? We we won't be exalted to heaven. We're the hometown of Jesus of Nazareth. I mean, up here anyway, in Galilee. We, We put up a sign He's our guy. We're we're selling his souvenirs. But listen, does he reign in your heart? Is he your sweet, secure shelter? From God's judgment on your sin? This is the, the, the culpable complacency that Jesus warns of here in Matthew 11. He's saying, look, there, there is no neutral position available when it comes to your exposure to the truth of God in Christ. So, the, so there, the, the, the God is not allowing... Of the person to say, well, you know, it's not like I did anything horrible. I just, I just didn't respond. What could be more horrible than not responding to the grace of God in Jesus Christ, truly given, freely given to the worst of sinners like me, like you? Well, um, Merry Christmas. No, no. Um, I mean, we can't end like that, can we? Is there yet hope for the spiritually complacent? Let's get to that. And let's go back to the first word from Jesus in our text. Woe to you. Remember that? And I said, of all the words you could hear from Jesus, you wouldn't want to hear that. Woe to you. Woe is a curse. It's a a word of rebuke. It's a word of judgment. But here's something kind of interesting. This word of judgment is nonetheless laced in pity. Think of this. Christ's warnings of judgment come laced with pity. What is pity? It's what you need from God. If God's kindness towards sinners were a diamond, pity would be one of the facets Of God's kindness. He takes no delight, please hear this, he takes no delight in pouring out wrath upon anyone. One commentator says this word woe could be translated alas, alas your judgment will be more severe. It's a word of sorrow and pity, not just righteous anger. In other words, if only the people of Galilee had heeded the word of God through the prophet Ezekiel. As I live, declares Lord Yahweh, I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but rather that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn back. Turn back from your evil ways. Who's who's Ezekiel talking to? Church people to the complacent god still says today turn and live second peter do not let this one fact escape your notice beloved the lord is not slow about his promise as some consider slowness but is patient toward you not willing for any to perish but for all to come to repentance You know, some people sometimes wonder getting on in their later years, and you decide what that means. But getting on in your later years, you know, I wonder why God's left me around this long. Listen, here's one reason. If you haven't turned to Jesus yet, he's patient toward you. And he's kind toward you. And he says to you this day, come. Turn and live. Turn and live. And if you want to know what that looks like, We'll see later in Matthew's gospel. Can you believe we'll eventually be in Matthew 15? What will it be like? Um, we meet a, a woman from Tyre in Sidon. Those are horrible places. A Gentile. And she, she simply hears that Jesus is coming through town. And she approaches Jesus, something a Gentile woman should not be doing, approaching a Jewish rabbi, and she pleaded with him. She said, have mercy on me, Lord, son of David. And he said, well, how do I grasp this mercy that is being offered in Christ? You just cry out to him like this lady did. Have mercy on me. And the disciples wanted her sent away. Gentile that she was, the Gentiles were less than dogs, as you know, to the Jews. We didn't invent racism. It's, it's, it goes back to the early days. And Jesus said something curious to this woman, testing her. He said, I was not sent except to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. What, what will she do? Will she, will she just give up? No, she keeps pleading with them. She keeps pressing in. That should sound familiar to you. And Jesus said something even more curious to her. He says, it is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Will that cause her to stop in her need for mercy? No, she pleads again and she says, yes, Lord, but even the dogs feed on the crumbs which fall from their master's table. In other words, this woman pursued Christ with a zeal with a holy violence, remember that from last week? Please tell me you remember that, all right. No shoulder shrugging, no indifference, no lukewarmness, she pressed in and she grasped for Christ desperate and the king received her. And Jesus immediately granted her plea that her daughter be freed from demon possession but as we've learned from Matthew's gospel, there's, there's something about those miracles. They're picturing something, and she serves as a picture still today of what it is to grasp the king's gracious offer of salvation. Just just come to him desperate as you are, unqualified as you are. And you find, if you wonder whether he'll have a scrap of mercy for you from his table, oh, there's more than a scrap And friends, that, that actually is the message of Christmas, isn't it? Well, s- skip ahead in your Bible. It's okay to do this. Look, look at verse 28 in Matthew 11. Come to me, says Jesus, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. And Lord willing, we'll unwrap those verses in the next couple of Sundays leading to Christmas, but but why wait until then? This has always been God's invitation to his people. And still today, the king says to the complacent, come to me. Who, Who may come? All may come. Are you? culpably complacent toward Christ. Repent, and you take all of that culpability of yours and you just place it at the feet of this Jesus who took his perfect life and offered it in place of your indifferent life. And his shed blood satisfies God's wrath on your behalf. This is the scandal of the gospel. Jesus never did in his humanity the wrong things that you have done and Jesus only did in his humanity the right things that you've known to do and yet have failed to do. In Christ, the spiritually culpable find forgiveness and comfort of soul. Do you believe this? Have you responded? And believers, for for those of us who are following Jesus, it's possible that some of us are are, are confronted in the word this morning of our own complacency. Saved, safe from judgment. That's not the issue. And yet complacent in our conviction that we've been living as if we're somehow better than those people, you know the people you wouldn't name your town after. Doesn't it help to be reminded that the king who judges proportionately also rewards his people proportionately? We've seen that already in Scripture. And so he invites us to humble our troubled consciences before him and find rest. Okay, let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for this truth straight from heaven to our hearts. And Jesus, I pray that you would draw to yourself those hearts that have been familiar with the facts about you for years and years and years and yet have never turned to you personally. Lord, I pray that by your spirit, you would bring life to such hearts among us today, in our homes today. And Lord, I pray for we who are your people, who who need this reminder that there is such a thing as complacency among your people. But Lord, you are our refuge for all of that, and we're yoked to you, And we're learning from you what it is to be attentive to what we know to be right. And so, Lord, we pray that we would draw near to you in all of this. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.